Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. I thank God for Mr. Rogers. He impacted millions and billions of lives. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood first aired in 1968 on a public broadcasting station, and it ran for 33 years. You know, and um, I'm just going to entitle this message just because it's Family and Friends Day, but also it's, it's a lifestyle that God is calling us to live. I want you to just turn to the person next to you and say, won't you be my neighbor? Turn the other way. Say, won't you be my neighbor? I know that feels a little weird, right? It feels a little weird because in our society, we're suspect to people when they're nice to us. We automatically wonder, what's their angle? What do they really want? We expect people to be short-tempered and to be angry and to be rude and to be selfish. And so when people are nice to us, we're not used to it. You may already know this, and some may not. Mr. Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian minister. He wrote, he produced, uh, he did the puppetry, the voices. He, uh, he sung, and of course, he starred in his own show. Because he was disgusted with the quality of television that was programmed for children back in the 60s. So he did something about it. And he used that platform of television to address children, but he also was speaking to adults. He addressed some adult issues. He, <clears throat> excuse me, he addressed some real life issues. He dealt with issues of divorce and how that impacts children. He dealt with issues such as the assassination of President Robert F. Kennedy, the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. He dealt with children with disabilities and one of the most powerful issues he dealt with was the sin of racism. At the end of each of his programs, he would say these words, you made this day a special day by just being you. And there is no person in the whole world like you. I like you just the way you are. I think that Mr. Rogers tapped into something in the spiritual realm that we as followers of Christ, we often forget to do. He loved people unconditionally, and that's the way that God loves us. 
That's the example of Jesus Christ when he walked this earth. He loved people just the way they are. A few days ago, our calendars turned and they told us that this was the beginning of Black History Month. I want to let you know that Black History Month didn't begin in February. It started January 1st and it ends on December 31st. <laughs> so you do the math and it should be a day that you recognize that God loves you for being you. There's another a video that I want to call your attention to for you to discover what it was like to be a black man in America in the hood in the 60s. And even more so, what it was like to be a black man on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Watch this. That scene in the clip where Officer Clemens and um, Mr. Rogers both had their feet in a pool, cooling it on a hot day, was very symbolic. Because during that time, and even still today, there are some European Americans that will get out of a swimming pool when people of color show up. They don't believe that we belong in the same space, certainly not in the same pool. There were people even back in the 60s that would demonstrate very overtly, very openly their racism. And if blacks got into the pool that they felt belonged to them, they would get bottles of bleach and pour it in the pool to damage their eyes or to just literally cause them to get out of the pool if they didn't want the bleach to get in their eyes. That's a segregationist mindset that you belong over there and this place is my place. Your place is over there, not here. Mr. Rogers wanted to communicate God's plan. He wanted to communicate unconditional love and, and a call for us to love one another. He demonstrated by this something that is really foundational to the gospel of Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, he wanted to demonstrate that we were created in the image of God. Red, yellow, black, white, brown, male, female, young, old, we all have worth, not only in God's sight, but in one another's sight. We have been given a dignity by God that no other form of creation, no animal, no plant, no bird, any fish has. Mr. Rogers, in doing this, and the statement that he made at the end of each show you made this day a special day just by being you. It in no way means that he agreed with everybody's lifestyle or their choices. He still loved them. And I think that one of the things that we need to do in order to be neighborly is to love people right where they are, for who they are, without condemnation, even though we may not agree with their choices or their lifestyle. The officer that we saw in the clip, he introduced himself. You saw him sitting on the couch. In real life, even back in the 60s when he first came on the show, he was living a homosexual lifestyle. And there is a, there's background stories. I did research that 
Uh, he was, once, he's, once you're on TV, once you're on a platform, people know you and they, they watch you. You're living in the fishbowl in the public limelight. He was actually seen in a homosexual lounge or a bar or club one day. <clears throat> and the report got back to Mr. Rogers and the producers. And uh, Mr. Rogers, in his unconditional loving way, said, Francois, I love you just the way you are, but there's much more at stake. You cannot continue to go to that bar and be on this show. Because it's impact, it has impact on the people who are watching you. Mr. Rogers was saying, I don't approve of your lifestyle. I love you just the way you are. But we've got a job. We've got a work to do. If we're going to work together. Even me making that statement, it, it, it challenges us. I feel, the, I feel the conviction in the room right now. I feel people digging their heels in. I feel people drawing the line on the sand and saying, I'm on this side of the sand. I feel people looking around them. It's all right. It's okay. Relax. God's in this. Reverend David Anderson of Baltimore, Maryland, wrote a book called Gracism. Gracism. And in the book, and I've heard him speak, he he challenges believers not to live a life of judgment and condemnation simply because people sin differently than you do. Gracism. He that is without sin, let him take a stone and be the first one to throw it. Have any volunteers? Only see ushers standing. I know they're not standing because they're sinless. Standing because they're on duty. I mean, if, if I were to put up on the screen a list of sins, some of us are guilty of mental, attitudinal sins. Sins like arrogance and worry, anger, bitterness, hate, revenge, jealousy. Some of us are guilty of sins of lust, power, lust of power, lust of money, impatience, prejudice. Self-righteousness, hypocrisy, envy, selfishness, ingratitude, disrespectful, stubborn, irresponsible. Some of us are guilty of sins of the tongue, gossiping. James says if anybody can, can be sinless in their tongue, that person is perfect. Lying, blasphemy, boasting. Critical, ridiculing, sarcastic, cursing, whining, complaining, arguing, excuse making. I mean, I could go on and just talk about the, the overt sins, murder, <laughs> stealing, adultery, rape, for, you know, which one is yours? Don't raise your hand. Don't shout it out. But he challenges us, don't judge somebody simply because they sin differently than you do. He goes on, and these are not my uh, thoughts, but I, I, I love the application of these to scripture. He says, homosexually for some people is a struggle. For some people it's a sin. It's a, it's a you know, it, it's a lifestyle choice. It's a willful act of disobedience 
against the way that God designed a man and a woman to function. But for some, it's a struggle. Just like for some people who are heterosexual, who are attracted to the opposite sex, might be unmarried, might be a teen, might be a young adult, or you might be married, and still you struggle with attraction to the opposite sex. Even though you've made a vow of, of chastity and faithfulness and fidelity to your spouse, when another person of the opposite sex gets in your space, it's a struggle for you. Y'all ain't saying nothing this morning. And for other people, homosexuality has become a strategy. There's a strategy and very um, one that has been implemented over the years to legitimize the lifestyle of homosexuality, to legalize it, and then to demonize anyone who disagrees. So I don't have a problem with people disagreeing with me. You can disagree with me right now. That's fine. But what I do have a problem with is when we act disagreeable while we're disagreeing. You especially see it during the political campaign season. When the mudslinging goes on and the attack ads just run rapid and sometimes I just like, when is this thing going to be over? Just hurry up and somebody get elected, please. Because it's ugly, it's hateful, it's demonic. Where, where is the, the, the respect for human dignity gone even in campaigning? If I were ever, and I, God, please, Lord, no. If I were ever a politician, I would never attack my enemy, my, my opponent, and treat them like my enemy and demonize them and talk, you know, about their family. I, look, we can disagree on issues. But I'm still going to respect the human dignity and worth that God has put on the inside of you. So it amazes me how people on different sides of the political aisles just verbally name-called and ridicule and pull one another down. That's not exalting you and your issue and your party or your platform. You getting mud on you, throwing mud on somebody else. But in the church, our response has to be better. It has to be different. It has to be it has to be based on grace. Here, here's, a, here's a range of how we have responded to people who are different from us. Whether it's people who are different from us racially or people who are different from us in age or people who are different from us politically or people who are different from us in sexual lifestyle. This is the range. It's, it has gone from, first of all, violence. I just don't like you, I don't like your lifestyle, I don't like your way you think, I don't like the way you look, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna hurt you. <laughs> we, we've seen that, it manifests itself in genocide, it, it manifests itself in the releasing of the dogs and the taking the, the, um, the ax handles and hitting people aside the head and water hoses, violence, lynchings. Just uh, this past week, the, the actor Jussie Smollett on Empire. Y'all know that show, y'all watch Empire? Come on now. Yeah, he was beaten and attacked in a 
bag put over his head and a noose tied around his neck because he's gay. That's, that's one of the responses. And, and it's not a response re, uh, representing the human dignity and worth in this person regardless of their choice of their lifestyle. He just sins differently than you. And then we might, we might have a little bit more grace and say, okay, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm just going to discriminate against you. Now, those of you who are brownish in, in skin tone like me, you all know about discrimination. I'm just not going to hire you. I'm just not going to give you the loan. <laughs> I'm not going to rent an apartment to you. Right? And then we might have a little bit more grace and say, okay, I'm not going to discriminate against you. I'm just going to judge you. I'm going to talk about you behind your back. I'm going to tear you down. I might even do it to your face. And if you get a little bit more grace than that, and you move closer to the meter of love unconditionally, you might just ignore people. <laughs> have you ever been ignored? <laughs> it amazes me. I'm walking in Brookfield in the mall, and I know they see me, but they just... <laughs> Do you don't see this 5 foot 11, 200 pound black man walking towards you? No, if I, if I acknowledge you, then I have to... If I see you, then I have to acknowledge you. And if I acknowledge you, then I've got to deal with the conflict that I feel within my heart. So I'm just going to ignore you. I'm just going to act like I don't see you. And if we move a little closer towards the meter of love and grace, we, we might even tolerate folks. Yeah, you can work in the office, but your department is over. Your desk is over there. I'm going to lunch. No, I ain't going to ask you if you want anything to lunch. I'm just going, you just here now. You ought to be glad that you just here. You ought to be glad we hired you. You ought to be glad that, you know, we open up the door for you. Move a little bit more closer to the meter of grace and love, and we might just make it safe for you. I'm not going to let anybody talk about you. We're going we're gonna to honor the federal laws of EEOC. It's safe. Your job is safe. You can get the same ways that everybody else get. Move a little closer, we might even become welcoming. We might even say, hey, we need, a, we, we need workers. We don't care about your lifestyle. We got a product to produce because we're in the business of making profits to increase the national economy that would put money in all of our pockets. And so as long as you shoot in the same direction that I do, you're welcome to come on in. We might even move a little closer and become friendly. Well, we have conversations with you and, hey, I'm going to lunch. Can I bring you anything back? Would you like to go to lunch with me? Hey, would you like to come and join me at my table? We become friendly then. Oh, I noticed some of y'all's hair is standing up on the back of your neck right now. I left you at point number two. <laughs> you say, wait a minute, Bishop. I can't do all this in one Sunday. <laughs> Let me tell you what Jesus would be. He would go even the next step. He would be engaging. He would be engaging. That, that's beyond, it, that's, that's, that's not only safe and welcoming and friendly, but it is, you know what? I'd just like to maybe have a conversation with you. Can we go to lunch or dinner one day and 
you know, I, I just really, I appreciate you. you. You made this day a special day. Just for you being you. But can you help me understand something? And I'm not, I don't mean this in a condemning way. I don't mean it in a judging way. You know, I'm a heterosexual man. And I'm, a, 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 you know, assuming and I even have seen evidence that you are not. Can you just talk to me? What it, what's, what's it like? Being a homosexual man, what has been the experience? What's been, what's been your journey? You know, how did that start for you? You know, what did anything happen? Were you molested? Were you abused? Were you, did you play with dolls rather than trucks? I'm just, you know, I don't mean this in a, in a negative way. I mean, and you can do the same thing with people who are of a different ethnicity to you, people who are of a different age, people who are of a different gender. It's engaging. That's what Jesus did. And he was criticized for that. So I already know that on Facebook, some of y'all tweeting right now on Facebook, and, and he was called a friend of sinners because he engaged with the prostitutes and with the tax collectors. He ate in Matthew's house. But the thing that, that we cannot do is become celebrating. Cannot become celebrating. That, that's the final step. I think when we become celebrating, we then endorse a sin. We then encourage a sin. That's why I won't buy a pack of cigarettes for somebody to smoke. I won't, I won't buy wine for you. I, I'm not going to celebrate your sin. I'll engage with you. When did you start smoking? Oh, really? I used to smoke till I was about 18. I gave my life to the Lord and said, you know what? My body's a temple of God. You know, but I won't celebrate it. So we, we have to have a mindset that we value the dignity that's within every person and we engage them with this, with this attitude that we love them first unconditionally. Not I love you if you meet these standards. I'm, I'm, I want to listen to you. I want to learn from you. And then maybe I can lead you to the light that I found in Jesus Christ. Mr. Rogers was a, he was a good Samaritan because he addressed those kind of issues on his talk show. And, um, and like Jesus, I'm sure he was criticized. But, you know, Jesus says, listen, it's the sick who need a doctor, not the well. He said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost, not to make the comfortable even more comfortable. So at Parkland Assembly of God, we're, we're going to make some declarations this morning. We're, we're going to become a church like the Church of Acts. A church that's more, more committed to going as opposed to telling people, hey, come on and join us. A church that's, that's taught and encouraged and equipped to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. Here's a scripture that helps us to see why to do this. In John's gospel, John chapter 1 and verse 14, the message Bible says this about Jesus. It says that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> the word, the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived among us. He moved into the neighborhood. That, that word really, that scripture really means he became incarnate. He, be, he put on flesh. And as Park Law and Assembly of God, we're going to make some declarations that we are going to, we are a community of great neighbors. Community of great neighbors. What does that mean? That means that we, we are people that demonstrate random acts of kindness. 
We demonstrate random acts of kindness just for no other reason. We just want to make people wonder, what are they up to? Why are they being so nice? Just random acts of kindness. Just, just pay for the gas of the person in line behind you. Just buy their meal. Buy their Starbucks coffee. And they won't run. Who is that that ran out? Who is, who is he? Oh. That's, uh, that's Pastor Jay. He goes to Park Lawn Semi God. Is he crazy? No, he just loved Jesus. <laughs> we're going to be a people who go out of our way. In fact, we're not going to become. We are a people who go out of our way. We, that means we go beyond the ordinary. You know what extraordinary is? It's going beyond the ordinary. It's going beyond what everybody else is expected to do. We are an extraordinary people. We go out of our way. We are people who live for the good of others rather than for ourselves. We're committed to we, not me. We are people who go beyond polite words. Hi, how you doing? I see you over there, hi. How many of us have done that to our neighbors? Hey, hello. Over the fence, hey, hello. Down the street, hey. Driving down. You ever go down south? Everybody wave, everybody wave. Hey. Polite. Just a culture of politeness. We go beyond politeness. We go beyond hello. We go deeper into the realm of, really, how are you doing? I care. How are your children doing? Tell me about what's going on. How was your week? And we really stop and listen. This requires a life commitment. This is not friends and family day Sunday. Okay, we're going to do it for 24 hours. This is a lifestyle. In, John, in, in Luke's gospel, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. The story says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? So Jesus is asked a question by the teacher, but instead of giving an answer, Jesus asks a question to the question. <laughs> it's interesting because this, this, this lawyer, this expert in the law, stood up to test Jesus. He wasn't interested in getting information and knowledge. He was trying to trap Jesus. And in, in the day in which Jesus lived, the rabbi, the teacher, sat and the students stood up. So we got this thing all wrong. Y'all need to all stand. I need to bring this chair out here. That's the way it was in Jesus' day. But this lawyer, he stood up. Like, I'm going to teach you something, Jesus. Jesus says, what is written in law? How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. This teacher, this, this lawyer, he understood Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which contained a, a Hebrew passage that's referred to as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your might. And every Hebrew would recite this Shema several times a day. He knew it from childhood. Now he's a lawyer. 
And so he was able to tell Jesus what the law said. But Jesus answered and said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself in verse 29. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. He was looking for an excuse. Who do I have to love? Can I, get to, can I pick and choose who my neighbor is? Do I have to love him? Or can I, you know, it's often easier to love people that we don't see. They're out of sight. That's why we fly over the inner cities and we fly to third world countries and we drop off medical supplies and clothes and we serve for two weeks. Because we ain't got to see them people every day. And we say, I love everybody. You love your neighbor over there, but it, why is it so hard to love your neighbor down the street? Your neighbor in the next zip code, your neighbor across the alley. Boy, it's quiet in here. Is this mic working? <laughs> Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jesus is automatically expanding this man's zip code. So you just want to love folks in Jerusalem. But I want you to love some folk down in Jericho too, 17 miles away. On his way there, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. This man was in luck. Here comes a priest, a commissioned minister from Park Lawn Assembly of God, on the way. He's in luck. I don't know which one it was. I'm not going to call any names. But when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so too a Levite came. A Levite was an assistant to the priest. He came to the place. He saw him. He passed by on the other side too. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. A Samaritan was an enemy of the Jew. The Jews hated the Samaritans because they were half-breeds. And, and any God-fearing Jew would never set foot in Samaritan territory. They would actually walk two miles out of the way to go around the Samaritan village. But as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. As I prepare to close, God is obviously telling us that you can't love me if you don't love people. He's challenging us to expand our social network of friends and family. Yesterday, I was privileged to speak at the No Regrets Men's Conference. It was an environment of, of the Holy Ghost and testosterone. I'm telling you, when you get those two in the room, you got spontaneous combustion. And our first speaker, Gordon McDonald, told a story about love, unconditional love. He, he talked about how he was a coach to various 
uh, professionals and CEOs, and many of them have great wealth, but they're not happy. And as a result of that, alcohol becomes their friend. It becomes their crutch. And one of his, his uh, mentees was in, in an Alcohol Anonymous group, and then Gordon, Pastor Gordon asked, can I go to your group? I just want to learn and see what you guys do there. And he said, sure. And he went to the group, and they were all, you know, hi, my name is John, and I'm an alcoholic, and hi, my name is Sally, I'm an alcoholic. And, and uh, he said, hi, my name is Gordon. I'm not, not an alcoholic, but I'm just here because I just want to see what you all do. And before he left, several of the alcoholics came up to him and said, hey, here is my card. If you ever need me any day, any time, day or night, just call me. I'll be at your house in 15 minutes. <laughs> and he said, wow, when's the last time you've been to a church where somebody pulled out a card and said, hey, here's my name. Here's my here's my real number, my cell phone number. Call me if you need anything. I'll be at your house in 15 minutes. That's a neighbor. We don't want to be like the priest. We don't want to be like the Levite. We want to be like that Samaritan. Now, as I bring this to a close, I want you to understand some things. This story is, is about much more than race relations. It's about economics. Clearly we see it's about race and about prejudice, but it's about economics. It's about the economics of compassion and capacity. Certainly we value the worth of every individual. That's what God commands us. But often that's not on display in society. The response call for police to get to your house might take a little bit longer than it does in another part of town because your life is not valued as much. The story is about economics because this Samaritan, he had both capacity and compassion. He had an ability to care for his neighbor. And as the story tells us, he used all of his available resources to take care of the man. Now, neighborly love requires both compassion and capacity. If you simply have compassion, I care about you, I love you, but you don't have capacity, you ain't gonna do nothing but frustrate me. I can't live off love, <laughs> right? I need to pay my gas bill, it's cold in here. I need to put some food, I need, you got some capacity as well? You frustrate me if you just got love and no capacity. So Parklawn, we are a people of both compassion and capacity. Amen. You got to have both, because if you, if you, you don't want to frustrate people, neither do you want to alienate them. So if you got capacity, all the money that you could ever want, but don't have compassion, and you try to help somebody, now you've just made me mad, because you've offended me. You've ostracized me. You said something that was racially insensitive, sexually, uh, um, you know, degrading. So I don't want your help now. Stories about economic capacity and compassion. It also causes us to not overlook. We're, we're tempted to often overlook 
another character in this story. Nobody ever talks about the robbers. <laughs> what made the robbers robbers? What was going on in their life, in their society, in their background, in their zip code that made them have to become robbers? They're victims too. May God help us to become good neighbors. We're challenging everybody at Park Lawn in this year of community to start living your life on the front porch rather than the back porch. There is an anointing of a barbecue ministry in this house. I don't know anybody, red, yellow, black, white, or brown, that can resist the anointing of sweet baby rays being brushed upon some barbecue ribs or some hamburgers or some chicken or some hot dog. I'm telling you, it's just like the fourth person of the Trinity. You got the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, and you got sweet baby rays. Your neighbors will be knocking on your door saying, hey, how's, can you, you need me any help cutting your grass? I'm telling you all, this is not just for today, but this is a lifestyle for us. Mr. Rogers has a lasting legacy. On TV for 33 years, died in 2003, and we're still talking about him. Imagine what your neighborhood and your community in this city would be like if this church right here just began living as a community of great neighbors. I'm gonna pray right now. I'm gonna pray that prayer of Jabez. Y'all remember Jabez's prayer? <laughs> We've been praying that prayer all wrong. First Chronicles 4 and 10, Jabez cried out and said, oh Lord, that you would bless me indeed, enlarge my territory. We've been making that about us. It's not about me, it's about we. Lord, enlarge my territory. And Lord, come lift your hand right now. Lord, I pray that you would enlarge our territory, that you would enlarge our social network of friends and family. I pray that you would enlarge our heart, that you would bless us indeed that way, God. Lord, bless us indeed. Let your hand be with me. From this day forward, Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.